verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Well, hello. Happy New Year. Year. It's great to see you. Welcome to Grace Church Worcester Park. If you're new or visiting, it's great to see you. Uh, My name is Martin Reynolds. I'm one of the elders here, and I normally come to the morning service at 10 o'clock, but it's good to see so many from the 4.30 service here as well today. Uh, If you're new or visiting, I should say I don't normally sound quite like this, a little bit of a chest, so let me pray for my voice and for all of our ears, mine and yours, that God would speak and we would listen and take to heart these amazing things that he's saying. Let's pray. Father God, you caused these words to be written through your servant Isaiah. They are glorious, and if we would listen, they have the power to transform our lives, not just for 2023. Help us to hear and obey your command to rejoice this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder how Christmas has gone for you. Uh, Has it been a triumph of organisation and of gifting and of eating? Uh, Perhaps it's been a bit lonely or boring or or painful. Uh, For most of us, Christmas holidays at least, the whole thing is a bit of a mixture. A lot of us will have put some energy and money into making Christmas Day special and fill it with lovely moments for other people. Even the most perfect Instagram Christmas, however... The ones with matching ironed pyjamas and exquisite double-wrapped presents does not compare with the generosity and perfection of God Almighty. Uh, The reading today is from the Bible book of Isaiah, and we look at some of the early chapters in the run-up to Christmas most years. Even though it was written 600 years or so before Jesus was born, it tells us a lot about him. But today we are near the end of the book. And Isaiah isn't talking about Christmas so much as the end of the world. You may have noticed some parallels with the last book of the Bible in uh, Revelation, 
which also talks of new heavens and a new earth and a, a new city of Jerusalem. And since God the Holy Spirit was helping the writers of both books, that isn't a surprise. And just like the people who heard God speak these words in the time of Isaiah, we are told about things that haven't happened yet. But we are told to rejoice in them, the promise of them, nonetheless, and to trust in the God who makes the promises. The book of Isaiah is amazing. It's like a a picture gallery with a series of, of visions or word pictures explaining what is going to happen and who God is, and and what God thinks or feels, in fact, about each of those events. I don't know if you've ever been to a really big art gallery with lots of levels and lots of rooms and then lots of pictures in lots of rooms. Uh, Sometimes uh, the pictures are just the same. One picture is, frankly, very similar to the one next to it. But sometimes you get really big surprises. And verse 17 here is a big surprise. God has been speaking about judgment against people who are busy pursuing their own imaginations in the first part of chapter 65, claiming to be holy while worshipping other things. And God says that there will be a restoration of Israel, the land, and a blessing for loyal people and punishment for others. And this is normal for Isaiah. It is just like many of the other pictures in many of the other earlier chapters. But then we get to verse 17. And it's a sudden zoom out. Not just to the country or the neighbouring countries that people have been taken to and carried off to after Israel lost a war. But out to the whole world. And indeed the whole of everything. It's a bit like, and this is the best illustration I could come up with. You're growing up and there's a problem in the, in the roof of your family house. And all you can think about is your stuff and where are you going to live. And you think you can see a way for it all to get sorted out. And then dad says, oh, and I'm going to build a new house. What? We're not even thinking about that. We need a whole, I was talking about the roof. A new house? Sorry? It's just stepping right back and really wide scale. Israel was being challenged to listen to the one true God and worship him so that they can get their land back and enjoy his blessing again. And then God says, look, I will make a new earth and new heavens. And the people of that time must have wondered, what? What is that going to be like? And the people of now, of us, we might wonder the same thing. What is that going to be like? Well, even the best Christmas celebrations can fade and disappoint. We can't make them last forever. The thrill of special food, special time with family, new toys and everything else, they don't satisfy properly. Our hearts want something more. C.S. Lewis, the author of the uh, Narnia children's books, wrote in a book to adults, there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you. But they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire with no exper- which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And the challenge for us this morning, a few hours into 2023, is do we believe it? Do we believe that God made the world and everything that exists? Do we believe that the words of the Bible 
are true, which tell us that he made everything. And if we do believe that these things are true, why wouldn't God be able to create a new world? Now, you might be sitting here this morning, look, not yet able to believe that God made everything, not yet able to be confident that the Bible is God speaking today. If that is you, let me recommend that course that Sam mentioned earlier. We'll be running uh, in a couple of weeks, starting on the 12th of January, called Hope Explored, which Tim Guest uh, will lead. It's a good place to ask your questions to someone who has thought these things, these things through carefully. But if you do believe that God made everything, and if you do trust the Bible uh, says true things, then the idea of a new creation should transform our hearts and our minds. The Bible, in fact, says here, commands here, we are to rejoice. It should make our hearts sing the certain hope of it should transform our lives. C.S. Lewis again from one of the, the few sermons he preached. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Cinemas and books are full of fantastical worlds, which are amazing, but the human authors struggle to get their minds around how something can be perfect, how to describe it, how to depict it. They bring their own memories, their own ideas, and their, their histories, even understanding of human history, into the things that they create to amuse us and to help us to escape for a few hours. But Isaiah says in verse 17, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. When God remakes things... When God recreates, he will put a line under histories and memories. Verse 16, before our passage today, has talked about troubles being forgotten. And these troubles include terrible judgment. They include death through violence. That's what the sword is a byword for here. And people being carried off to exile. But verse 17 goes further. Not just troubles, but talks of former things not being remembered or brought to mind. Memory is a funny thing, isn't it? There are two kinds of remembering. There's the deliberate and the one you can't stop. God is including both. There's deliberate remembrance, calling things to mind. Perhaps you took a moment this Christmas to remember someone who wasn't with you for the first time this year. And we do that as a country. We did it in in here every November when we wear poppies and we stand in silence for two minutes. I don't think there will be any of that in the new creation. We love history in our house. We listen to podcasts about it. Have you, have you heard this week's? Have you heard it? It's kind of become a branch of the entertainment industry itself. But I don't think there will actually be much of it in the new creation. There'll be no more of that longing and missing people. And when people are with the master of history, and the ruler of nations, the activity of reading or writing history, uh, it would be pretty pointless too. 
And then there's the other kind of remembering, the kind you can't always control. It comes back perhaps when something triggers it or your mind wanders in paths that, frankly, you'd rather it didn't, to the embarrassing moments. Or the ones where we said things we shouldn't have said or did things we, we can't undo. And lives are worse for it now. What a relief. That will be for the chosen servants of God not to remember the terrible things done to them or the things that God has forgiven and forgotten. Instead, rejoice in the things to come. Instead, with that promise, if God calls us his chosen servants, we can rejoice. In fact, it's a command. If you are in God's people today, it isn't an option. Rejoice. We should not just be living for now or only looking back to the work of Jesus on the cross, the time when we first understood it for ourselves, perhaps. We should also be looking forwards, trusting in the promise of God to create again. Be glad and rejoice again in what I will create, verse 18. Be glad and rejoice again in what I will create. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking we're just a collection of experiences, that our environment and our choices are what has made us who we are today, and that's unchangeable. But the Bible says that isn't the whole story. You are more than a collection of experiences and a collection of the the outcomes of situations which have inevitably led you to be the person that you are sat here this morning. We can choose what to look at. And we can choose whether to rejoice in the promise of a new future. And some of us need to commit to doing that again in 2023. There was a phrase I heard when I was young that someone was too heavenly minded to be of earthly use. Actually, I think filling our hearts and minds with the hope of this new creation is a great help in coming to terms with the tough times and the sorrows of this world and in freeing us to do the work of God here and now. This world isn't forever, and neither are its sorrows and sagas. But the new creation is. It is forever, and we can rejoice forever. God isn't making a heaven for us to play harps on clouds. He isn't making a heaven for us to eat Philadelphia cream cheese, if you're old enough to remember those advertisements. Nor is our ultimate happiness to avoid other people altogether, like a hermit who lives in the mountains and thinks he's discovered the secret to life. The picture here is of a city, a big, full, happy, vibrant city called Jerusalem. In uh, 2005, long time ago now, I was in Trafalgar Square as the England cricket team paraded the smallest trophy in sport. Freddie Flintoff was there, staggering around behind some sunglasses as uh, Matthew Vaughan, Michael Vaughan, Michael Vaughan, paraded the ashes because England had beaten Australia in a test series. The sun was shining. It was early September, but it was just glorious. It was a perfect day. And the song that rolled around the square that day was a hymn called Jerusalem. You might have heard it, you might not have heard it. Uh, If you have heard it and you've thought about the words, I'm sure you'll agree with me that the words are just silly rubbish. The first verse, in fact, is four questions, and the answer to all four questions is no. 
Let me, let me give you the... Uh, and did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? No. And was the holy lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? No. No. And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? No. No, it didn't. No. And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? No. No, it wasn't. The second verse is actually worse. The second verse ends with a really common mistake that people in Britain make and maybe elsewhere. Basically, it ends with, I will not rest till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. And we sometimes think we have it in our power, in our hands, to make Jerusalem here in old earth and with our, our effort. No matter how wonderful we make Christmas, no matter how wonderful we make our city, how strong we make our country's institutions, how perfect we make and rebuild our houses, we cannot make Jerusalem. Not here. Not now. But God can and God will make a new Jerusalem that will go on forever. A city that makes God glad. It's fashionable at the moment to listen to our own feelings. We're encouraged to develop an awareness of what we're feeling and to get help if those feelings are negative. And I don't want to say it's all wrong. There are advantages to treating mental health, well-being as a health issue. And there is benefit to some of the interventions that are now popular. But in focusing on oneself and on our own happiness and fulfilment, we can become introspective sometimes and we can actually become selfish too. Many of us know that we need to be aware instead, or as well, of what others are feeling and to empathise and, if possible, balance our happiness alongside that of others. Many of us say at Christmas that it is better to give than receive. And some of us uh, actually believe it. And we need to take delight in seeing happiness on the faces of our children, at least. Now, some of us find that easier than others. If we're on the autism or Asperger spectrum, then it's harder to pick up on what other people are feeling. But others of us, of course, don't have that excuse. In fact, however, that's no different from what primary schools teach, like, like this one when term starts again. But actually there is another aspect. Another aspect, if we are going to be truly emotionally healthy, that we need to add. More than our own feelings, more than each other's feelings and needs. We need to understand God's feelings did you notice that in verse 18? It's in verse 19 as well. The people of God are the delight of God. They make him happy. Gathered in the perfect community, God's people will make him happy. So that's the second takeaway today. Be the delight of God. This, it was the hope of joy that was Jesus' motivation for dying for sinners in the first place. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross by which we can be saved from the punishment for our sin. Too often, you see, we think of God the Father as a disappointing version of Father Christmas. Less generous, more demanding, wanting us to do good all the time rather than just in the weeks running up to Christmas. And it's just not true. God is more like the new parent who is so looking forward to meeting his new child. He longs to pick them up in his arms. 
or like the father that explains to his old football team that he doesn't want to play with them anymore, but to take his preschool child down to the park to kick about instead. What do you mean? You scored 12 goals last season. We need you. I, I, I just want to be with my girl, my boy. I want to spend time with them. Have you seen a parent who really loves their young child? They just have to be there. They just have to walk into the room. It doesn't matter what else is going on. Everything stops. And the little one is picked up and cherished in front of all the other people on the Zoom call. The people of God are the delight of God. With a young child, there's no thought of the future or the past. They are all in that moment in time. The past is forgotten. There's no real thought of the future, just pure connection and joy in that moment. What value must the people of God have if they can be the delight of God himself? The people of God are the delight of God. And there will never be in this city, this new Jerusalem, the worst sounds. Only joy. No more crying. God's purpose is that one day his people stop crying. The things that aren't in the new creation are almost as wonderful as the things that are there, aren't they? No more tears, no more grave diggers. No one will ever carve a tombstone again, perform a funeral. Verse 19 sets up the rest of the chapter where some of the details are filled in. We don't have time to explore all of these verses fully, but look down with me if you can. No, no more children dying a few days old. Have you heard the sound of a woman crying when her baby has died? It's the worst sound I've ever heard. Utterly bereft. And it won't be in the New Jerusalem. God's purpose is that his people stop crying. It's a time of year for obituaries, isn't it? Pele died on Thursday. Vivienne Westwood, fashion designer, maybe more your thing. Pele was 82. Vivienne Westwood, 81. Their many achievements were celebrated in the news. Pelé, three times a World Cup winner. And he did all those tricks first. It's just he did them in black and white. But I haven't heard anyone say, didn't Pelé die young? Anyone said that? Has anyone heard that? A hundred years old, Isaiah says. That's no age. Looking at verse 20, that kind of thing will be a sadness to the people of the New Jerusalem. Reading through the final chapters of Isaiah, it seems that the people here who are being described as dying are those outside the city who do not delight in God and are therefore not the delight of God. Which throws up a question which we need to ask and answer to do this properly today. Which are you going to be? Do you actually want this? Do you want to live with this God and his greater pleasures? Or do you want to pursue your own imaginations and ideas that are not in the Bible? Do you know better, really? Do you have a hope that can compete? And a confidence that would be better than a God who, by his spirit, caused different authors in different places and different times in history to repeatedly tell things that came true? Much of the rest of Isaiah's predictions have already come true. Does anything else you might rely on have that much of a track record? 
We have to be careful reading ourselves into the nice bits of the Bible, of course. But the promise is clear, even in chapter 65, that others who are far off and not involved in the original Jerusalem will be brought in. God can and does and will bring in people and make them good enough to live with him because they trust in his rescue. Never again will there be the tragedy of someone who builds a new house and then dies the next day to pass it on to undeserving relatives. The trees of the Mediterranean region live a really long time. The same tree that you saw when you were growing up was the same tree you saw in your old age almost always. And God says those trees you measured your generations by, you will be like those trees. You will live long. Sam, you're partial to a bit of Cote de Rhone, aren't you? How about Cote de Sam? It takes decades and decades to make a good vineyard and then age the wine properly, but you'll have the chance. Build a wine press, get some cellars on the go year by year, build them up. You'll have time. We'll be able to plant vineyards and eat their fruit. That's what that verse means. Never again the family tragedy of a woman who sees that her children become what her children have become and then wishes she had never had them. Blessing after blessing, generation after generation. The picture at the end of the chapter of animals living contentedly with each other is a total reverse of the curse after creation the first time round. We had it explained from a different part of the Bible on the 11th of December, I think it was, if you want to know more. And through it all, the joy of being known by a God of love. When my daughters were young, I could sometimes predict what they were going to ask for and have it ready in my hand so they didn't even need to finish the question. You see that? Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Let me end with a story you may already know. Jesus told it. It's the story of a father and two sons. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son, although it's actually just as much about an amazing father and a twisted older brother. The younger one wastes his money and prepares a speech asking to come back as an employee, not a shareholder. And he doesn't make the speech because the father doesn't let him. He throws his arms around the son and calls for treasure for his finger, new clothes for his back, and steak for dinner. Extravagant, undeserved love. Because the son turned back? Well, really. Because his father delighted in him. Let me pause for a moment, and then I'll pray.
Father God, for those who already know you, I ask that you would help us to keep this vision in mind and to rejoice. Father, help us to remember the hope that you have set before us in your word, the Bible. Help us to remember with confidence and hold on to the things of this world, the experiences and even the relationships lightly compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you forever. Help us to remember that you save us because you love us and you mean to delight in us forever. And Father, for those of us who are still looking at these things, who are not yet confident and certain of your word or your power, I pray you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to trust you, to know you in Jesus, who, yes, came at the first Christmas, but died to take away our sin and make us worthy of this place you will make. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last thing. If, uh, If you have questions about what I've said today, uh, if you if something didn't quite make sense for you or you, you weren't quite clear about something I was I was saying, uh, please do come and ask, or ask Sam or Tim or Chris.